0: Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological Africans storytime sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5pm Eastern Time US in the Mythological Africans Twitter space. In this episode, we celebrate Kiswahili Day, 2022, by reading the story of Liongo, the chieftain, hero, warrior, and poet of the Swahili people. We also discuss the complicated history of the Swahili language. So I was thinking um, today we'll read the story of uh, Liongo. It's uh, so the story is in this. Book. Let me share that link in here. This is the one that's public domain. And if we do get someone who speaks Swahili, then we can do like back and forth in English and in Swahili. Um, If not, I'll just read it in English and we'll go from there. The book, uh, I just shared the link here and it's public domain so we can all check it out at the same time. Um, It's a story of Leongo. Apparently, it's a pretty well known uh, poem. Leongo is a, a national hero of the Swahili people. So um the there's a story about him in here. But there's also a poem the legend of Yongo in, in poem form which is on the um, africanpoems.net dot net website. I'll share that link um when I get the chance. Um but I just I love, love love finding out about these things cause you know we have all these poems and epics and things that come from traditions from all over the world and I think that we, we owe it to ourselves to give our African um, um, stories the, the priority that they deserve, right? I mean I didn't know that this kind of a poem existed for an African hero until I read, you know, I started curating this site. So um, we'll read that because it's available in English, it's long and we can have a nice discussion about it. Um, and then if we do get someone in here who speaks Swahili, we'll read some um, love poetry from the other book that we we have on our list of books, and let me share that here. So it's six oh six. I think we are going to go ahead and get started, just so we have we have time to get through the things we want to get through. Um, and um, welcome to Sarah. I'm gonna call you Sarah because I'm Agent Arjun. I you told me your name before and i'm terrible with names i'm so sorry but we also have mukuka good to have you all here this is exciting so we will get started and i have to do my official spiel so that um if this gets used in the podcast um you know we don't sound too too informal um in case you're not aware of it uh the sessions i record them because uh they get transformed into podcasts and broadcasted hey i see you good to have you in the room they get trans- uh, transformed into podcasts. Version and they're broadcast on the Pod, the Pod Save Africa platform. So if you miss a session and it expires on Twitter, we have those on there as well. It kind of saves me from having to do a podcast too, right? Win win win. All right. So hello everyone and welcome to today's session of uh, Let's Talk African Mythology and Folklore, and we're focusing on Swahili folklore today because uh, yesterday I believe was uh, Swahili Day, and I believe that that. Effort is about celebrating African languages and looking for ways to make sure that we, we remember that we have a tongue. You know, I I think about colonialism and what it did to the continent as in a way cutting, try to cut our tongues out of our mouths. But it, these these efforts um, show that the that effort wasn't complete. You know, it wasn't successful and uh, remembering the languages, remembering the different forms in which they, pre- they, they preserve the stories, the songs, the histories attached to them um, is important. And I, I was thinking that this evening we'll make this session about Swahili folklore. Unfortunately, there's quite a bit of Swahili folklore out there um, in terms poems, in stories, in songs. I'm hoping that we have someone join us eventually who reads or speaks Swahili fluently. That way we can have the Immense pleasure of hearing the language, um, you know, in its glory. But if that doesn't happen, we'll make do with translations to English. Um, something which I wasn't aware of, and I only became aware of today on the timeline, was how it's just the, the dynamics of language, right? Because um, Swahili is a popular language in eastern and southern Africa, but that also means that it has been co opted in the ways in which people. Co opted and used to, to brutalize and oppress people, and I only, only found out about that today. So it's a dominant language, but that dominance um, comes with some baggage attached to it. And I just want to make sure that I, I, I acknowledge that because this is something that I only became aware of today. I haven't dug any further into it, but I don't want to be insensitive to, to any um, friction that exists, right? Because we, we have our continent is huge. We have a big and multidimensional history, and we owe each other the the understanding. So that being said, uh, welcome again, everybody. Welcome uh, Laura, African Tanakhantiri, Mukuka, everybody who made made it this evening. I'm really, really glad you're all here, and we will get right with it. So the story of Lyongo, there is a poem, which I'm going to share a link to the poem, uh the epic of Lyongo and um this 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 what I'm going to share we're not going to read that today but I want to make sure that we have it um is is part of a longer series of poems in the Epic of Lyongo composed by uh, Muhammad Mohammed Kijuma in nineteen thirteen who is believed to be one of the greatest Swahili poets who ever lived um but the story that we will read today is uh, from the from the book the collection made by oh gosh um edward steer and it's uh it's from the book titled swahili tales as told by natives of zanzibar and this was published in 1870. so these are translations of stories from uh, people in zanzibar who swahili speaking people in zanzibar so, the book has the Swahili version and the English version, and what I like about this book is that he names who his his informants are so um in the English translation, we don't get the full glory of it but um i I think we get as close as we can given the material that we're working with
1: and uh what
0: what i what I find exciting about this is that now that we have these resources combined with the stories that have you know not been written down necessarily. We have an avenue through which to continue writing and expanding, you know, what what we know about who we are on the continent and in the diaspora. So let me go ahead and share this link, then we will jump right into the story. In the meantime, if you want to join in with us, the story we are reading is on page... I have that right. It is the story of Leongo is on page 439 of the steer book, and it's in the public domain, so you can um I have it I'm reading it right now on internet archive, but you can you can check it out as well. So here is that link then we are going to get going, 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 going.
1: I'll just chime in real quickly to say too. There's a Wikipedia article about Liongo,
0: um, oh, really yeah.
1: cool, and it's under the the name Fumo Liongo with a Y, F-U-M-O space L-I-Y-O-N-G-O, and it's. You know, it's Wikipedia, so it's more fo- focused on the historical evidence for Leongo and those traditions. But anyway, he has a Wikipedia
0: article. Lovely, lovely, lovely. That's good to know. And I have to say, at first, I was, you know, quite skeptical of Wikipedia, but I found it to be a resource as, as good as a starting point. So you look at the, the sources that are cited, the references in the Wikipedia article, and then you go to those references, and they lead you to more references. So it's not, you know, the best of sites since it can be edited by just about anybody but I find Wikipedia to be a good enough place to start a lot of the time so thank you thank you for sharing that Laura I really appreciate it so I just shared that link to the um, epic of Leongo. and I'm going to put it in here so we all have access to it we're not reading from that today though We are reading from the book on page 439 and we are going to start the story of Lyungo. Okay. So in the times when Shanga was a flourishing city, there was a man whose name was Lyungo and he had great strength and was a very great man in the city. And he oppressed the people exceedingly till one day they made a plan to go to him, to his house and bind him. And a great number of people went and came upon him suddenly and seized him and bound him and went with him to the prison and put him into it and he stayed many days and made a plot to get loose and he went outside the town and harassed the people in the same way for many days and people could not go into the country neither to cut wood nor draw water and they were in much trouble and the people said what stratagem can we resort to to get him and kill him And one said, let us go against him while he is sleeping and kill him out of the way. Others said, if you get him, bind him and bring him. And they went and made a stratagem so as to take him. And they bound him and took him to the town. And they went and bound him with chains and fetters and a post between his legs. And they left him many days. And his mother used to send him food every day. And before the door where he was bound, soldiers were set who watched him. They never went away except by turns. Many days and many months had passed and every day, night by night, he used to sing beautiful songs. Everyone who heard them used to be delighted with those songs. Everyone, who used, everyone used to say to his friend. let us go and listen to Leogo songs which he sings in his room. And they used to go and listen. Every day when night came, people used to go and say to him, we have come to sing your songs, let us hear them. And he used to sing, he could not refuse and the people in the town were delighted with them. And every day he composed different ones through his grief at being brown-bound. So the people knew those songs little by little. But he and his mother and her slave knew them well. And his mother knew the meaning of those songs and the people in the town did not. At last, one day, their slave girl had brought some food and the soldiers took it from her and ate it. And some scraps were left and those they gave to her. The slave girl told her master, I brought food and these soldiers have taken it from me and eaten it. There remains these scraps. And he said to her, Give me them. And he received them and ate, and thanked God for what he had got. And he said to the girl, and he was inside, and the slave girl was outside, You, slave girl, shall be sent to tell my mother that I am a simpleton. I have not yet learned the ways of the world. Let her make a cake, and in the middle there be put files, that I may cut my fetters, and the chains may be opened, that I may enter the road that I may glide like a snake, that I may mount the roofs and walls, that I may look this way and that. And he said, greet my mother well. Tell her what I have told you. And she went and told his mother and said, your son greets you well. He has told me a message to come and tell you. And the mother said, what message? And she told her what she had been told. And his mother understood and went away to a shop and exchanged for grain and gave it her slave to clean. And she went and bought many files and brought them. And she took the flour and made many fine cakes. And she took the bran and made a large cake and took the files and put it into them. And she gave it to her slave to take to Lyungo. And she went with them and arrived at the door. The soldiers robbed her and chose out the fine cakes and ate them themselves. And as for the bran one, they told her to take that to her master. And she took it and he broke it and took out the files and laid them away. And ate that cake and drank water. And was comforted. And the people of the town wished that he should be killed. And he heard himself that it was said. You shall be killed. And he said to the soldiers. When shall I be killed? And they told him. Oh tomorrow. And he said. Call me my mother. And the chief man in the town. And all the townspeople. That I may take my leave of them. And they went and called them. And many people came together. And his mother and her slave. And he asked them. Are you all assembled? And they answered, we are assembled. And he said, I want a horn and cymbals and an upato. And they went and took them. And he said, I have an entertainment today. I want to take leave of you. And they said to him, very well, go on and play. And he said, let one take the horn and one take the cymbals and one take the upato. And they said, how shall we play them? So he taught them to play, and they played. And he himself there, where he was inside, sang till when the music was in full swing, he took a file and cut his feathers. When the music dropped, he too left off and sang, and when they played, he cut his feathers. And the people knew nothing of what was going on inside, till the feathers were divided, and he cut the chains till they were divided. And the people knew nothing of it through their delight in the music. When they looked up, he had broken the door and come out to them outside. And they threw their instruments away to run without being quick enough. And he caught them and knocked their heads together and killed them. And he went outside the town and took leave of his mother to see one another again. And he went away into the forest and stayed many days, harassing people as before and killing people. And they sent crafty men and told them, go, go, go make him your friend so as to kill him. And they went fearingly. And when they arrived, they made a friendship with him. Till one day they said to him, Sultan, let us entertain one another. And Leongo answered them, If I eat of an entertainment, what shall I give in return, I who am excessively poor? And they said to him, Let us entertain one another with coma fruit. And he asked them, How shall we eat them? And they said, One shall climb into the coma tree and throw them down for us to eat. When we have done, let another climb up till we have finished. And he said to them, Very well. And the first climbed up and they ate. And the second climbed up and they ate. And the third climbed up and they ate. And they had plotted that when Leongo should climb up, let us shoot him with arrows there, up and above. But Leongo saw through it with his intelligence. So when all had finished, they said to him, Come, come, it is your turn. And he said, Very well. And he took his bow in his hand and his arrows and said, I will strike the ripe above that we may eat in the midst. And he shot, and the bow was broken off. And he shot again, the second broken off. And he gave them a whole comat tree, and the ground was covered with fruit. And they ate. And when they had done, the men said among themselves, He has seen through it. Now, what are we to do? Let us go away, they said. And they took leave of him and said, Leungu, the chief, you have not been taken in. You are not a man. You have got out of it like a devil. And they went away and gave the answer to their headman there in the town and said, We could do nothing. And they advised together, Who will be able to kill him? And they said, Perhaps his nephew will. And so they went and called him, and he came, and they said to him, Go, go and ask your father what it is that will kill him. When you know, come and tell us. And when he is dead, we will give you the kingdom. And he answered them very well. And he went. When he arrived, he welcomed him and said, What have you come to do? And he said, I have come to see you. And he said, I know that you have come to kill me, and they have deceived you. And he asked him, Father, what is it that can kill you? And he said, A copper needle. If anyone stabs me in the navel, I will die. And he went away into the town and answered them and said, It is a copper needle that will kill him. And they gave him a needle, and he went back to his father. And when he saw him, his father sang and said, I, who I am bad, I am he that is good to you. Do me no evil. I, that I am bad, I am he that is good to you. And he welcomed him, and he knew, he is come to kill me. And he stayed two days, till one day he was asleep in the evening. And he stabbed him with a needle in the navel. And he awoke through the pain and took his bow and arrows and went to a place near the wells. And he knelt down and put himself ready with his bow. And there he died. So in the morning, the people who came to draw water saw him. And they thought him alive and went back running. And they gave out the news in the town No water is to be had today. Everyone that went came back running. And many people set out and went. And as they arrived, when they saw him, they came back without being able to get near. For three days, the people were in distress for water, not getting any. And they called his mother and said to her, "Go, Go and speak to your son that he may go away and we get water or we will kill you. And she went till she reached him. And his mother took hold of him to soothe him with songs. And he fell down. And his mother wept. She knew her son was dead. And she went to tell the townspeople that he was dead. And they went to look at him and saw that he was dead. So they buried him. His grave is to be seen at Ozi to this day. And they seized that young man and killed him. They did not give him the kingdom. So any thoughts on this story, friends?
1: Well, you know, I love that he's a trickster. In addition to being a hero and a sultan,
0: he's a trickster. You know that that was very interesting to note. Uh, the part that cracks me up was that even in death, even in death, you know, he had the people walking on tenterhooks. hooks. So that 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 was fun to fun to see. But did anybody else? Um, so I don't know if this will be a familiar reference, but the the files in the cake made me think of the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Because I. I I I w- I was listening
2: to that and reading along with you, and I'm like, this is like, is this where that tradition comes from of uh, put a file in the cake? Because, um, that was just wild. And how old is this? Because this
0: is so. This book, this book was published in the 1970s. Yeah. So we think this story is probably way older
1: than that. Yeah. Oh, it's way older. You know, the historical Leongo is a thousand years old, let's say. So this is very old traditions.
0: Yeah. But probably shades of modernity incorporated into it, I think. Yeah. Because with the story of the jail and the files, I imagine.
2: Yeah. And the fetters. And I'm, I'm, I I was, one of the things that came to mind to me was how they described he was, um, how he was, when he was captured, how they bound him. And to me, I was wondering, is that, you know, are they describing something that's traditionally African? Or are they describing something that they saw once the Europeans came and the slave trade started, and this is what they did? So, and maybe not even the Europeans. I mean, the the, the Arabs, you know, the Arabs too were were slavers, and you had you had different slave trades from the continent. And I'm wondering, is that is that native? Is that indigenous? Or was that brought to africa by someone else
0: you know that is a good question which i don't have an answer to what i do know i've read this account that um i believe it's the Fulani people, Hauza, one of those two people they had this practice of um, when they captured a person they would tie the person's hands to their necks you know and there's even a proverb that speaks to that you know um so it, it wouldn't surprise, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that this is something that is, you know, was on the continent before, you know, European slavery arrived. But then we also have to keep in mind that even before Europeans set foot on the, on the continent, there was already the Islamic influence, which has, you know, enslavement of other human beings as a heavy, heavy practice. And, and the eastern coast has been a contact with you know, Arabic influence yeah. for a very long time. So who knows? And also, you know, war and capture and enslavement was a practice on the African continent. So it really could be any, it really could be European influence, it could be Arabic, Islamic influence, or it could be indigenous.
2: Yes, I was also thinking that, um you know, what were the fetters made of that he could cut them? Were they leather, or were they wood, or was are we not actually talking about rubber?
1: You know that detail yeah.
0: that detail doesn't come through, but in my yeah. mind, because I'm going with the Looney Tunes, you know, imagery, mm-hmm. I'm seeing them as metal. Yeah them as metal because then a file a file would would make sense but it says here that he was bound with chains and fetters so I imagine you know iron chains and fetters and a wooden post between his legs yeah that that would make sense because these materials have been in use in that on the continent in, in, in for, for a long time so I, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if, if that's what it was yes what I find interesting is how even though he was a captive, you know he still had access to you know his mother he had you know basically a servant attending to him yes you know kind of plays with that that dynamic of what a captive would be you know he he seemed to be be accorded quite a bit of respect everything notwithstanding yes um
2: one thing that I also is this, that that when they sent his nephew and, who didn't tell him you know who who was trying to play a trick on him he says you've come to kill me but they've tri- but they have tricked you mm-hmm. the people who sent you have tricked you and it's the uh, the only word i can think of is perspicacity but it's it's his ability to see through other people's uh, dissembling. mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. And being a trickster, it's like is it is that because he was a trickster and he's going, What would I do if I were them? I would send them someone right you know that I would I, I should feel comfortable with.
0: Um but also that his nephew agreed to do it. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the last couple of words. So I, I didn't catch the last couple of words you said there, um, So, but it sounds like your, your speaker may be having difficulties on your end because you weren't quite clear. Uh, while you sort that out, let's turn to Laura, who has her hand up. I think you were going to make a comment on, on the fetters the or something.
1: Well, I, w- I was going to offer to uh, read a little snippet of one of the songs that Leongo supposedly sang in prison. Mm-hmm. because. Harold Kurlander and one of his books and um let me see which book this is this is the one called The Crest and the Hide it's a book of folk tales from around the continent and he includes a chapter on Leongo a hero of Shanga and I think we 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 used Harold Kurlander's Yoruba book in this group is that yes. right yeah. yep yep so people know him and so in his version He includes one of the songs, and apparently there are lots of songs attributed to Leongo. And I thought this because it's about what it means to be a hero. So I thought people would be interested to hear it. So I'll go ahead and read the English uh, uh, words to this song. What is a hero but a man who will not turn away from what he knows to be right? He will stand against wrong until his heart becomes still and his soul departs. If he hears an evil thing praised as something good, he denounces it and draws his sword. If evil seeks to hide in the dark shadows of caves, he follows and destroys it. He does not avoid death when it comes, but turns back from dying in a false cause. If his slave stands by his side when he fights a hero's fight, his slave too is a hero. If his enemy stands bravely and fights to the last, he praises his enemy as he would praise himself. But if his enemy stands before him and trembles, the hero turns away and does not judge him. The hero must forever earn merits. Even if he has done great deeds, he must earn merits again and again. So that's the song of Riongo.
0: Wow. And and with that in mind, it gives us a bit of an insight in his into his psyche. Of course, um, I just I wish I really wish we could have that read in in Swahili because I feel like the experience would be a completely different one. So, it's my call out again. If there's anybody in the room right now who speaks or reads Swahili, please please step forward because we have we have this in a Swahili, and um it would just it would really be a pleasure. Um, pleasure to have that read in the in 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 that language, but you know, Laura, listening to you read that, I couldn't help but think about um, Saladin, right? Who, I don't know if you're familiar with who's uh, with Saladin. Sorry, I'm, I'm sure you are. <laughs> I'm sure you are, but um, he he's another person who wasn't necessarily a trickster the way um, um, Leongo appears to be. There was someone who really embodied this this description of a hero, you know, who stood up against what was wrong and treated his enemies with respect. You know, um, I I, I wonder if there is an interplay between the that influence there and and this um this poem, because the, the snippets that I have read in in the book, in Stairs book has references to the Quran. So I'm now curious, um not curious if there is an interplay between traditional culture in that part of the world and Islam. I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that that there was.
1: Well, I know there's uh, a lot of Arabic words in Swahili, and I was curious about that word devil when you were mm-hmm. reading the, the story from Steer, and I looked over at the Swahili side of the page, and it's shaitani, so mm-hmm. it's, it's the Arabic word for, for devil that shows up there. So there's definitely... You Know important interplay in the same way you know that, that Saladin's tomb in Damascus is still absolutely venerated. Mm-hmm. And they, they mentioned at the end of this that people will show you where Leongo is buried. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the town, so you know, heroes can live on for thousands of years. Indeed, indeed.
2: I, well, I was, thank you. I, I was just going to say that, um, af- um, there is an African base, uh, not base, but uh Swahili comes from the interplay between the trade between um, the uh, Arabian Peninsula and um, Africa. And mm-hmm. so um, there was a tweet earlier of uh, someone who spoke Swahili and someone who was Shona, and I forget <laughs> and i and. I used to know where Shona is based, but they were saying words in both languages to see the relationship, and there was a very strong relationship between a few of the basic words um, that they um, had. But it is uh, it it it's sort of a, I don't want to say creole. I think is what I'm I'm looking at. It's a creole of mm-hmm. um, the interplay of cultures. Along that coast,
0: unsurprising, and I—I I found a tweet. I actually retweeted that earlier because I thought it was—it was amazing. So it's in the space. If you want to look at it, watch the video. It's up top. Um, but yeah, it's—it's it's like you say, Conja. The—the Eastern African coast has a long, long history of trade with the Arabian Peninsula, with the Arabian subcontinent, with much of Asia as as we know it today. So it's—it's it's not surprising that that these, these similarities exist. But also, of course, the, the influence of indigenous languages will, will have its say, which is why some people, you know, will propose Swahili as a lingua franca for, for the African continent and um, justifiably so. But I was able to catch the, the, the tail end of the space today that was hosted by some uh, folks from Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania and places where Ki Swahili is spoken, and it's true that that I I was able to listen in and you know understand that as loved and respected and valued as, as Swahili is as a language and the culture that surrounds the language, there are some tensions in there too, especially in how the language was used as a tool by you know dominant groups to oppress. Um, um, oppress much much weaker groups, there's actually a, a thread done by Arao Ameny, who is a poet. She's a Lango, and I believe she's from that's Uganda. And she did this thread after the space today, and I, it's uh, it's public, so I'm assuming she wouldn't mind if we read it in here. But I think, um, it's it's something it's something to reflect on because as much as we we value these languages you know we we have to stay cognizant of the 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 place they occupy in history you know we are talking about you know the the swahili language being something that came out of the meeting of arabic culture and indigenous african cultures that that meeting wasn't you know a tension free meeting either there was a power dynamic there there was conquest and violence there as well um so let me just read this thread and then maybe we can share some thoughts about it and then again i'm putting out my invitation if we have someone in the room who speaks swahili we would love to have some poems read in swahili please so dm me if you are interested so um i thread, i'm going to share it in here too so if you want to go you know think about it talk about it you certainly can um But she says, during my first year of undergrad in Louisiana in the USA, I remember the university hired a professor from Tanzania to teach Swahili. I immediately bought the textbook and registered for his course. I was excited about the introduction of the first African language at my school at a time when only European languages like French and Spanish were offered. I introduced myself to the professor and he joked with me that he would teach me better Swahili than one of my Kenyan friends were teaching me. So I drove two hours to my mother's house to tell her the good news. I was so excited that I shared the news at her doorstep before walking in. With her hand out, she said, I know we left Uganda when you were in primary school, but you must remember that is the language soldiers spoke, and I will not have soldiers in my house. She closed the door and locked it behind her. I drove back to the university. I called one of my aunts in Uganda. That day, I learned that language, like water, can take the shape of the containers they hold. These human containers, soldiers, carried the language when they beat people with sticks and pistols and rifles. Sometimes, introduction to a language, an encounter with a language and a memory of a language are violent. A week later, my mother invited me back to the house. A cup of ginger tea and two books with the words Learn Leblango and Learn Lango sat on the table. When I went back to the Tanzanian professor to apologize for withdrawing from his course, he was expecting me. With a gentle smile and without allowing me to finish, he said, I already know, and I was waiting for you to also know.
2: That is very powerful. Yeah. That is very powerful. It reminds me of... um, It just reminds me of the story of Anna Anderson, who was a pretender to Monof um, Dynasty. Um, She probably was not Anastasia, but she refused to speak... Russian. And the reason she said that was because of the trauma Um, she said she had suffered and her family had suffered. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But people who knew her real identity said it was because she would have spoken it with a Polish accent Mm -hmm. and then it would have given her away. But I've heard of people who suffer trauma in a certain in a certain um, geographical location. And they'll, to heal themselves, they'll just shut their own history sometimes. They'll just shut it off and they won't speak it. And I I hate using that pretender as an example.
1: (laughs) But that was a
0: very powerful thread. It was. It was. And, and like I said, that was my first exposure you know, to Swahili's complicated history. And in many ways, the same can be said of the, the pidgin English that is spoken in much of West African, because that comes out of the encounter between um, West African languages and Portuguese, as I'm sure Laura has something to say about that right now. <laughs> Well, I,
1: I just wanted to make sure everybody understands though, that, that Swahili is, is not a, a pidgin or a creole. You know, it's a Bantu language. It's one of the official languages of Uganda. And, and I think that Aro is a, a Lango speaker. You know, so, so we have these countries whose whose national identities are on a map, but they often contain people who've been in great conflict and minorities who were oppressed. And so even though Swahili... Is a Bantu language. It's a lingua franca spoken by many people. It's an official language of Uganda. That that doesn't mean that everybody in that country is going to feel the same way about that language. The same way right, people right. in this country don't feel the same way about English. Understandably True. so.
0: True. No, I, and thank you for that for that you know distinction because that that is one of the, the tensions on the African continent, right? That people were shoved into countries you know without really caring for historical baggage that came with being of a different, you know, identity being associated with different clans and things like that. So um, I I, I appreciate you making that distinction, um, but I, I put it, I call it a lingua franca, probably not the best term to use here. Um, it's just because it's a language that's spoken so widely, you know, it cuts across so many national borders but that's that's an important distinction Laura I appreciate it. Uh, Conjem?
2: Yeah, lingua franca is probably the best one because it's a trade language. Right. It 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 arose um, it arose from the interaction that had to do with trade and and you learned the language because you wanted to get the trade. I think um I think one of the things that people don't come that that doesn't come to mind for people is that the African continent and the people there that were just like people everywhere else, they they didn't survive in their own little bubble. They survived on trade. Trade was very important. That's mm-hmm. how they got um that's how they got more powerful. That's how that's how their their lives got better. It was trade. So You know, I I think saying it's a trade language is is probably maybe the most neutral way of saying it, because that's that's how it came about.
1: Well, I I have to jump in, though. It's not a a language that it existed only because of trade. I mean, it's a a classical language with its poetic traditions and and ancient literary traditions, totally separate from the fact that eventually a trade network grew, and, and in part just because of the Bantu languages, Swahili is not tonal. So it's the easiest one for people who don't speak tonal languages. And and there well, are lots of tonal languages in Africa, but lots that aren't. And, and it's just easier for people to hear and, and understand. And so it had just some sort of linguistic advantages that meant it spread, but it didn't arrive because of trade.
2: I, I'm just going to push back with this example. English itself is an amalgam of a lot of languages you have you have the germanic base but you also have the norman french base right and so you you have these languages that were imposed on an island where it wasn't indigenous uh german is not indigenous in great britain neither is neither is french They those came from invaders but it was the interplay between those two languages um that brought about English, which then came to have its own poetry and, and artistic thing. So I, um, I would just push back with giving that example from another
1: another context. Right. But Wahili didn't come from invaders, I guess. And, and I don't want people to have the impression somehow that it's artificial or not an African language it, it is it's a Bantu language
0: right and and I I I think I should step in here and you know take responsibility because I think my words kind of created this confusion by trying to compare Swahili to West African pidgin, which can be said to exist because of trade you know it's it's not indigenous in any like it's influenced by indigenous languages but it, it wouldn't exist if you know. Portuguese and in the English and the Germans and all these people have not shown up, um, so thank you both for for clarifying that because I think my words may have created some confusion here, and it's important that we we have that distinction. Like like Conja is saying that you know this is a language that people spoke widely; they spoke it for trade reasons. Um, but then, as Laura is also saying, this probably became a trade language because it was more easily accessible than other indigenous African languages. Um, that being said, there was a really great discussion earlier today, which I caught the tail end of, um, but it is by people from East Africa, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, and other parts of the East African continent. And it's the, the, the topic was who's Swahili? and i I think that this might be this might be interesting to to take a listen to. It's about uh two and a half hours long and um i hope I'm saying that right uh, did a couple of tweets from the conversation which I think we, we might find interesting as we try to understand the, 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 the position, the role that Swahili plays. Um, it might be worth it to listen from the people who speak the language and to get their understanding on how they feel about the language. So I've shared that tweet here, um, two hours, 34 minutes long, if you want to dig into it. But of course, there are the tweets that summarize it. Um, but what, what, what I really want us to leave this, this conversation with Really, is the the idea that, like other parts of the world, right? The African continent comes with history, with baggage, with glories and gories. If you want to think about it that way, with the glorious and the gory, and um, this is this is our heritage, right? No matter how we arrived at it, this is our heritage, and these are the threads we have to untangle and weave into something coherent. Because the 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 argument. Oh, okay. Let's make Swahili, you know, a national language or a lingua franca for the African continent. But then, of course, you have people from from other groups who say, "Well, we don't want to let go of our language." And besides, our people have this tension existing with with Swahili speakers that we we don't want to ex- we don't want to act like it didn't happen. So, um, things that we're going to have to keep working over and sitting with and trying to make sense of, um, as we imagine a future for ourselves as African peoples um, in the context of the world, like Konja rightfully said, and I say that all the time in this space, we make a mistake when we imagine the African continent as this place where things were happening in exclusion from the rest of the world. There was always that back and forth, trading ideas, trading languages, trading material goods, that influence was multidirectional. And that's something that we should interrogate, but also celebrate. Um, that being said, just want to leave it out open again. We have just about ten more minutes in this space. Um, any questions, comments, thoughts? Mukuku, I see your your speaker's active. Oh, sorry, must have been accidental. Okay, well, good to hear your voice anyway. It's been a while since we've had you around, so good to have you here today. Um, but yeah, questions, thoughts, comments. Again, throwing it out there. If someone speaks Swahili, it would be really nice to hear even one little poem read in Swahili before we go. If not, then I guess we can start to wrap things up. So um, today for this space, we were trying to honor the Swahili language um, in its full glory. We got to read one of the major pieces of Swahili folklore that is out there, um, the uh, the story of Leongo. And this story goes with a poem, which is you know said to have been well. It's was composed by one of the greatest Swahili poets. Um, I've shared some links in the thread with uh, links to the book, with links to the poem itself. Um, links to books with poems in swahili read them share them enjoy them Um, there's also the conversation that was had today for um kiswahili day 2022 Um, really something that we we should continue to pay attention to Uh, otherwise we will be back next friday not sure what the topic is going to be but i know we will have fun as we always do and I really, really appreciate you all taking time to join in this evening. Um, your, your attention, your contributions, we really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great weekend. Please be safe out there. Like I always say, there is corona, there's monkeypox, and a whole lot of madness going on. So please be safe. Take care of yourselves. Love each other. And I will see you all on the Twitter streets. Thank you all so much again. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.